what is going on, everyone? Sam here with you, as always. Join with Matt. We've got two football games to talk about that were um, tough on the eyes, I'll say, and both, to, to be nice. Matt, what's going on? What's going on, man? Um, yeah, this has been one of the, the tougher weeks of football here in New York. Um, the Giants were just non-competitive. And um, you know it's gonna it's gonna start to be an uphill uh, battle here for the Jets, uh, losers of two in a row. So, are they are they done? Uh, no, I'm not in a position to to write the Jets off yet, especially when you look ahead to the next couple of games. But is, is this where we want to go? Do we want to start with the clobbering of the Giants? Do we want to start with Jets? I'll I'll leave it up to you today. The Jets, and what's going on with the Jets? Isn't necessarily the prettiest thing, but. I think that there's there's sunshine through a little bit of the clouds in my end, right? I think that this is two weeks in a row where they just simply got beat by better teams, and that's what I'm going to rest my hat on. I think Mike White is a tough kid. I think he is uh, definitely earned himself the starting role for the rest of the season. I don't even think that's a debate anymore. But as we come on, and I guess my first question I'll ask you, as we come on, we get the news that Zach Wilson has been, I guess – promoted to being the backup quarterback after Joe Flacco goes out last week and doesn't kind of look like he knows where he is. Um, So, Matt, I'll ask you this. Thoughts on this game this last weekend and then thoughts on the quarterback situation going forward now that Zach Wilson is our backup quarterback? Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, they got beat by a better team. And, uh, you know, we could say that about the last two weeks. And... I liked the way they played in both of these games. So I'm not really disheartened by it. It would have been nice to maybe come over with the Minnesota one because now your backs are against the wall. Do I think the Jets are done? No. Um, I mean, you're going to have to beat Detroit at home this week, right? That's, that's a must. And then you have, uh, then you have the Jaguars also at home. So if they could win their next two games, we're not talking about the Jets being done, right? So, you know, the nail's not in the coffin yet. I mean, they probably have to win both of these next two games, but I, I don't think now is the time to write the Jets off because really, I mean, if they win the next two games, how are we going to feel? Well, 20-12, to 12, they lose to the Bills in an absolute slog of a game. Um, Mike White, I think, might have set the record for most of the time, most times being taken off the field and looked at in a single game. It feels like it came to a point where every hit he was – uh, he was had to be looked at in the blue medical tent or whatever. He said he had to uh, get he they're gonna have to peel him off the field or whatever his quote was. Tough kid, love him. I still oh, think yeah. that there's some question marks with him. Like to me, uh, please please disagree with me for just content reasons. But Mike White makes all the throws that Zach Wilson hadn't made. But I still think there's some throws that Zach Wilson can make that Mike White cannot. Well, yes, because, I mean, we all know that Zach Wilson has a higher ceiling, but Zach Wilson wasn't making those throws. And that's kind of, that's the whole reason that White's in there. And it was, it was crazy to watch him just, just stand there knowing he was going to get absolutely clobbered and just take it and deliver some nice balls. Um, No, I mean, I mean, you're right, because Mike White is a, he's a limited entity and we don't expect much of him. It's kind of just... He's your better option right now. I don't really, I don't like to get into the conversations of like, oh, well, who knows? Maybe this is your quarterback of the future. Let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. Of, of course, Zach Wilson can make certain throws that Mike White can't. Zach Wilson can do a lot of things that Mike White can't, but he just simply wasn't doing them. And I, I don't think I make anything of, of him being upgraded to the backup, really. I, I just, I think it says, I think it says more about just Joe Flacco kind of having one foot out the door necessarily than, than Ed would say anything for Zach Wilson that he's now the backup. Look, like you know, they're they're gonna say, and I haven't. I, the only report I saw was that Zach Wilson was the backup. Period. Stop. I haven't seen Robert Sala say anything since, but I can just guess and just knowing how he speaks and just coach speak, he's going to say, oh, yeah, you know, Zach won the job. He's been practicing really well. He's looked good in practice. We really like we think he's ready. He's, you know, he's back mentally or getting back mentally. And they're going to put more eggs in his basket, I think. And I guess my question is, is there a way that a Jeff fan who's totally out on Zach Wilson could spin this and say that this is like, not a good thing for the Jets that now he's their backup? Because what happens if, like, to be honest, and I think I brought this up in much previous episodes about the Jets, but when we were talking about the Jets being elite, I brought up that the fact that their O-line is just shaky to me. And I think that, yeah, the Bills have a good defense, but Mike White was put on his ass hard a couple times, and I don't think it was anything that he could have done to get out of that. I just think that the Bills were getting pressure in Mike White's face. So, like, I guess my question would be, does it make you almost nervous that, you know, Mike White and this offensive line is co- almost coming into this game in high alert or high danger and that Zach Wilson could come into this next game given one big hit on Mike White? Yeah, that would be my that would be the way that someone who's completely out on Zach Wilson and I am and we've kind of talked about the disparity between you and I me being kind of more dumb with him than you are. Um I guess that would be that would be the worry because for the last couple of weeks, I mean, it didn't matter what happened, he wasn't getting into a game. And I mean now you're you're one play away from it. So yeah, I mean that, that scares you a little bit, but do I think he should be the backup? Yeah, I do. So I don't think there's any any way you could have an issue with it. Um but yeah, it's a little scary that you're that close to uh being right back where we were in that horrendous New England game. And so and I have a hot take for you because I, I don't necessarily like I don't disagree with you that it's like a bad thing that he's the backup, I guess. Like, I think that I think if he Zach Wilson probably is one of in my book, he's right now. He's probably one of like the more talented backup quarterbacks, just natural based natural talent wise, I think. But my question is a little bit unrelated, but just getting back to the Bills, this last Bills game. Here's my here's what I'll say. I think that the Jets did not lose this game because of Mike White. They didn't lose this game because of their offensive line. They didn't lose this game because of, uh, you know, poor defensive play. Definitely didn't. But I think, to be honest, I thought this was a coaching thing that they lost this game. And I'll tell you why. How do you not tell your guys that they are not snapping this ball and let C.J. Mosley jump over the pile and essentially give them the game right there? One. Two. Mike White is getting beat up the entire game, literally on the floor, holding his stomach as if his ribs were in his hands. And then Joe Flacco comes in and he might as well have had his his helmet on backwards because he comes in and I don't think a lot of people were talking about this, but he fumbles a ball that was a pretty big possession. Uh, Like a very underlying thing because of the CJ Mosley thing. But how, as a coach, 
like, how do you not like, you know, I think it was the second play that Joe Flacco dropped back to pass. Like, you see, every time a backup quarterback comes in, it's handoff, 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 you know, just let you get out without. I think when your backup quarterback comes in, you need to play don't turn the ball over football. And the fact that you can allow him to, you know, cold turkey go out there against a stud defense in a rainy day in a divisional matchup when your kind of your season is in the balance and you let him drop back and he fumbles and then the C.J. Mosley thing, I don't blame coaching staffs much. But I think that that says a lot about, I guess, where the coaching staff is maturity-wise. And I'll, my caveat to all that, and I, again, I, this is the last thing I'll say about this, but the, my caveat is I do, I still have full faith in this coaching staff, but I thought that was the, one of the few times this year that I thought that this coaching staff definitely could have crossed some T's and dot some I's and ensured that it would have been a little bit more of a safer process. Yeah, I mean, listen, this was a game where you needed points, and I don't know, maybe the thinking was, well, they're expecting handoff, let's catch them sleeping, maybe it was something like that, and then if it works, maybe you look like a genius, but even last week, we we were questioning the, the coaching of the Jets when we're saying, uh, when they're in Minnesota, when we're saying, how does that ball go to Braxton yeah, Berry exactly. at the end of the game, but but you know what, Like, and, and rightfully so, they're kind of playing so well that I don't really want to harp on the coaching all that much. And when you say they didn't lose because of Mike White, you're right. Uh, They absolutely didn't. But I would say, and I think Steve Young said the same thing, that was the difference between the Jets and the Bills was the quarterback in that game. Because the Jets don't have one. And the teams that do, I mean, they close. And is is there a better, like, I'd say probably Mahomes, but in like those gotta have it, body on the line, like third and seven with a minute left in the fourth quarter. Is there anyone else you want as your quarterback other than Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? I mean, how many third downs did Josh Allen run for, you know, to either make it a manageable fourth or give them a first down? I Specifically, I think there was like a third and 15 where the Jets played perfect defense. Everyone was covered. You know, nine out of ten times, nine out of ten quarterbacks, that's a coverage sack they get, and the Jets get the ball back. He skates out of the pocket, stiff arm, dive, gets the first down. It's unbelievable. It's it's just – there's yeah. such a level to it that – I mean, Josh, I, I – you could say what you want about his arm injury and whatnot and how healthy he is or I guess even just his arm talent as a whole. But I watch some of these Josh Allen plays and Patrick Mahomes plays. I'm not going to leave that out. And I'm just, like, in awe. And something like – we can get into this when we talk, I guess, go around the league – uh, and a f- you know, on our future pod, you're actually not going to be here. Sorry, podcast listeners. A little bit of a substitution yep. audible this weekend, but I hope there's a I hope there's a show for me to come back to. Jesus. Yeah, you might. You see, might feel a little hot right now, honestly. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I just think that I- I'm in awe of Josh Allen. Like, I think like I one of my someone I work with is a big Bills fan, and he kind of said the same thing. He was like, everyone's focusing on the fact that he's got this arm injury, but. People really don't even talk about how – not don't even talk about, but don't realize that he's, like, much more effective as a runner. <laughs> and it's crazy. He's like he's like a Cam Newton type, but Cam Newton – if Cam Newton could ever throw to a great percentage. Yeah, it's like – and as soon as you see him make the decision to oh, run, you know. like, uh, on, that rushing, on that rushing touchdown, as soon as you saw that he was like, okay, I'm using my legs here – you you lose hope. You're like, well, he's obviously going to pick up this first down. He's obviously going to find the end zone. It's like, <laughs> it, it's tough to to watch when you have a when you have a vested interest. So then, and so we 
kind of alluding to uh, around the league in this upcoming week. They play the Lions, and I think I think you just said it was a must win. In the yeah. effect that the Jets don't win this game, you know, regardless of what the score is, what is your what's your alarm at? Are you at a ten on this this on this I guess season concern? Um, I I wouldn't say a ten, but I mean I I think that, and I would like to know the percentages. Um. On like their their chances to make it if they win versus if they lose that game. Well, I think right but, now I, mean, I think it's they sit at like a forty percent, forty four percent chance to make the playoffs or something like that. Like right now, as everything sits, um, yeah. So I, listen, I, I would be I would be worried because I would say on this schedule, you probably have two and a half winnable games left, and you better get two because I think ten gets you in, and there's a chance you could sneak in with nine. Um, I mean, Detroit coming into your building, I know how impressive they've been offensively. I know that they just knocked off Minnesota. You have to win that game. And I think the Jets will be able to control that game. And I don't want to get too much into our preview, but that's a game they have to win. They have to win that game, and they have to beat the Jets. Well, I was going to let you have We'll get into this at a later date. Going into Seattle is going to be tough, right? And then that you hope that that last game against Miami means something. But, I mean, one at a time. They they have to win this game. They have to. Well, being that you're not going to be here on for this this next week's preview, the floor is yours. I want to hear some of your thoughts on this Lions game because look, I, I get questions all the time. Like, what does Matt think about this Jet game? What does Matt think about this Jet game? So <laughs> I don't want our listeners to miss out on that. So, what do you think about this Jet game? You kind of hinted at it. I see it now as a pick'em, uh, which to me yeah, is and, kind and of a slap in the face of the Jets, in my opinion. I don't know. The, the Lions are playing really well, and and there's really there's a one win difference between these. Squads. But the difference is that to me, the Lions are playing really well, but the Jets' defense has been playing has been playing at an astronomical level. I think this is probably the best defense that the Lions ha- will have played since the Bills, in which they lost. Right there, they the yeah, last and, two that, wins and, they and that's have, why. Sorry, don't mean to cut you off. The last two wins that the no, Lions have against the Vikings, who we have been on record multiple times saying that we think they're frauds, against the Jaguars, 40-14. to I believe that was the game Trevor Lawrence was in and out of because he got hurt and literally should have stayed home. And they lose to the Bills on Thanksgiving, I believe. And then they beat the Giants, who, just like we said, kind of are, we'll get into in a little bit, but kind of are in a little bit of a free fall. So, like, yeah, you could say that the Lions have won some decent games, but, like, you know, have they really played anyone of of? There's been no one even of the Jets' caliber defense that not even comes close to it. Yeah, and that's why I think the Jets have have a, a chance to match up well here. Because, I mean, aside from us thinking the Vikings are kind of fraudulent, their defense is dreadful. So it like, yeah, they can win a shootout, but this is just going to be: can the Jets put some points on the board? And if they do, I think they win. And, and I think they can. It's just. Yeah, and and it it just it is a good matchup for the Jets. They better win. Um, I, I I was going to go to this game before I remembered that uh, I'm not going to be around. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean I, I I'm going to pick the Jets. I, I I don't know if I already mentioned this, but the the line moved in favor of the Lions as one point favorites coming into MetLife. I mean, come on, the Lions are. I feel like the Lions are such a confusing team, and like they're fun. Like they have like. You know, we've been out, we've been very high on them for most of the year, honestly, about just like, you know, all the weapons they have here and there, blah, blah, blah. And like, not for nothing, I 
thought that Jared Goff has looked, you know, a lot better than he did in the beginning of the year. Even when in the beginning of the year they still were a pretty dynamite offense. But there's a lot of weapons on yeah. this team, and I think it's going to be a tough task for the Jets' defense. But I think they're up to it. I'm not going to give my pick yet. I'll wait for the uh, hour around the league and our official Jet preview that we're going to have with Bobby later in the week. But I did want to get into somewhat of a list. I mentioned the Giants, and I think it's always fun to do like a list here and there, you know. And the Giants are a bit of a free fall. And I think, you know, let's say the Jets lose this game. You can make the argument that the Jets might be in a little bit of a free fall. So with that being said, I have compiled my top five NFL collapses uh, of recent memory, recent memory being 2000 and on. I'm not bringing up anyone in the 70s or the 80s, blah, blah, blah. So okay. if I'm going to say that the Giants don't crack this list. The, you mean the current Giants? The current New York so Giants. The, so they, they are not on this list. However, I do think that if they, if they do end up losing out, they, I could see them falling onto this list somewhere, but let's start at the bottom. Number five, I have kind of like a little bit of a curveball to start here. 2001 and 2002 Chargers. Two th- since 2000, the San Diego Chargers are the only team to start 5-2 and two or better and lose every remaining contest due to losing the last nine games in 2001. That's 2001. That's number five? That's number five. How bad does this get? You're in for a list, my friend. Then, in 2002, Drew Brees comes along riding on his white white horse, coming to save the organization along with Marty Schottenheimer, not too far behind. Offense looks good at first, getting off to a 6-1 start, and then going 2-7 in their final nine games and ultimately missing the playoffs. Back-to-back years in which, in their last nine games of each season, they went a combined... 2 and 16 back to back years. So it looked pretty good there. Can, can you tell me who the quarterback was that, the, in the 2001 season? Was that not like Flutie? Uh, of the Chargers? I don't I, I don't think so. I, I'll, I'll bump yeah, it up. I don't, you I don't have that off the top of my head, but for some reason I think it was because didn't, didn't Drew Brees replace him? Yeah, I, I think actually it might have been. I, th- I feel like he did. Anyway, number four. Noticing a trend here, which I'm going to tie into the Giants at the end of this. The 2018 Panthers started the season, drumroll please, 7-1. Wink, wink to Giant fans. Carolina lost seven straight consecutive games, including five straight by a touchdown or less. Since 2000, only the 2007 Detroit Lions and this Panthers team are the only teams to start a season six and, at least 6-2 and two and finish at seven and nine on the year, miserable. Uh, if you remember the 2018 Panthers, Cam Newton in and out of injury. Um, I think that was like maybe the be- I would say like the beginning of the end of Cam Newton's I guess legacy in the NFL. Maybe because what year was that Super Bowl with Peyton? Was that 16? 15. 15. 15. He uh, was. I feel like his peak, and then it kind of was downhill from there for Mr. Cam Newton, who. Also, I'm a Jersey owner of myself. Uh, I think I think that season was the year that they beat the Giants in that uh, in that nail biter when OBJ oh, and Josh Norman were just going you're at right. it. Right, I remember that when they started fighting on the field and stuff. Yeah, that was that was a fun yeah. game. That's one of like that's a core memory you just unlocked. Um, we're gonna stick into 2018 a little bit. The 2018 Steelers started seven two and one. Lost three straight, and then, drum roll please, 
face the new starting quarterback for the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, who had taken over for for both of our favorite third-string quarterback, Joe Flacco. Baltimore will, would go on to win six of their last seven, winning the division over the 9-6-1 Steelers, all after a Week 16 loss to the Ravens and missing the playoffs mathematically by a half game. Not necessarily like a fall to grace, but just, you know, your, your rival in your division comes in with a new quarterback who rattles off six of their last seven, and you lose the division due to that and lose to them, yep. that same quarterback, in a Week 16 game. Yep. Rough. That Steeler team was a team with uh, eight Pro Bowlers. Yeah, that, it's and Mike Tomlin. Like my, we, I always rave about Mike Tomlin. It's kind of like a, uh, a black mark on his career, f- to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then you know all about this, number two, 2008 Jets. The Patricks, the Patricks, the Packers trade Favre to the New York Jets. Following a 12-loss year in 2007, the Jets started slow at 3-3, then rambled off five straight wins, entering the final five weeks of the season at 8-3 and and tied for the second-best record in the AFC. We all know about the greatest compiler in in this football history. Age caught up to Favre and would round out the season throwing two touchdowns and nine interceptions in their last five. Jets go one and four in their last five and fall out of the playoffs. I know you're going to have something to say about this season, so please go ahead. Yeah, that that was really one of um, one of my first years, like like really being into the NFL and and being into the Jets. Um, I have a pair of Brett Favre Jet jerseys in my closet as we speak. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, it it stinks because like you wonder like what that could have been if Favre doesn't get hurt and. They were really on a nice pace, but, you know, Jets are going to jet. That was a tough season, and, yeah, I, I think they're very deserving of that spot. I'm, I'm, I don't have the number one, like, in my head. I'm, I'm wondering who that is. So, the number one. From the years 2000 to 2019, only 46 teams a – to- oh, sorry, a total of 46 teams began the season 8-0 or 7-1. There was only one team in that span from 2000 to 2019 – that would start either 8-0 or 7-1 and miss the playoffs. And that was, drumroll please, the 2012 Chicago Bears, led by the GOAT, Jay Cutler. Um, Chicago leaned on their defense that entire year. They forced 28 turnovers in eight games. The offense just never found it. During the latter half of the season, the inefficient scoring attack failed to take advantage of the great defense much like we found with the Jets early on, I feel like. Um, the Bears dropped four of their next five, falling to eight and five. Two late victories. They got to the playoffs, but ultimately ended up, sorry, they got to a wild card tiebreaker and ultimately ended up missing the playoffs and firing their coach. Unbelievable. I think that kind of no, that really summation is. of Jay Cutler's whole career. Um, yeah. So then they don't even have an excuse because yeah. I mean Jay Cutler played 15 games. We're talking about Matt Forte, Brandon Marshall, yeah. uh, Alshon Jeffrey was a beast for them. They're the only team in about 20 years to not make the playoffs after starting eight and zero or seven and one. I mean that's just a travesty. So then, yeah. I, how do you even imagine that happening? Well, unfortunately for one half of this town, we might have to imagine this happening because. For the New York Giants, um, the Jay Cutler days might be soon coming, honestly. They 
I find it hard to believe that the Giants, especially after this last embarrassment to the Eagles, um, I don't know if they get up from this. Uh, for any single game, let alone the entire the entirety of the season, um, I don't know. What do you have to say about this Giant team? Because they got embarrassed. Oh, they, they absolutely did. And, I mean, I went on record saying I think they're going to lose out. I think they have one winnable game on this schedule. And, I, honestly, by the time that game comes, how winnable is it going to look? I mean, Saquon Barkley, as he's definitively not the same player he was in the first half of the season. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know how banged up he is. He, he's not like he was like the giant safety blanket. And the second that they lost it, all of these issues, all the we have no weapons, it all just comes to fruition. And they look bad. That loss to the Eagles was pitiful. I don't care how good the Eagles are. Um, you know, we talk about the Jets and Giants in the same category. The Jets would never lose a game like that. Okay, well, I'll stop you there for a second. This Jet team wouldn't lose a game like that. That's what I. That's what okay, I mean. Okay, gotcha, what gotcha, gotcha. But this, honestly, this was like a a cla- To me, this seemed like a classic. Like, and as a Jet fan, this is like a old. You know, your old fashioned Tom Brady Patriots come into New York and just beat the brakes off of you when they were in New England. You know, during some of those bad Jet years, because the Giant. I think there was not a single stat that the Giants won. The Eagles had more passing yards, more rushing yards, more first downs turnovers, better in the red zone, less penalties. They got absolutely manhandled in this game. And don't even let the score fool you. You know, 48-22 is a route. I think it was much worse than that. And, uh, I mean, yeah. you, you, say, you mentioned about Barkley. I almost feel like this. I almost feel like Barkley kind of went into the season and said, like, let me show that I could still do this. Like, you know, I have it in me to, to be an elite running back. But, like, as he gets towards the end of the year and the Giants now find themselves at 7-5 and five and have an uphill battle to make the playoffs, um, if you're Saquon Barkley, how do you not, like, you know, take a little bit of a load off yourself? Like, how stupid would it be of him to get hurt here when he's on the precipice of potentially a life-changing contract? Not well, def- I'm not I, defending I him, but, like... Uh, no, I know. I, I don't think anyone's going to offer him a life-changing contact, uh, contract. And, I mean, if you're the Giants, what do you do with him? Because you're not going to sign him. Are you really going to eat that almost $14 million to keep him around next year? I mean, I guess you have to. But I, I, I don't know where the Giants go from here. Because uh, on the one hand, we could say we think they found their coach. Uh, they looked better this year than we thought they were going to. But you still go into next year with – Zero answers to any of your questions outside of the coaching staff. Yeah, yeah, you're. I mean, you're right. There's zero. I mean, the only thing that's what is a certain on this Giants team. You don't know if Daniel Jones is going to be back. You don't know if Saquon Barkley nope. is going to be back. You already have no nope. receivers. Like, quite honestly, you know, people were kind of mad at the fact that Odell wasn't. I guess isn't already a Giant. But like, what the heck would Odell do for this team? He, he's not. Yeah. He's not putting up you know, 26 points and beating the Eagles alone. Yeah. And, and and when you say, I mean, we're not certain that Daniel Jones is going to be back. I don't think we're certain who Daniel Jones even is. Yeah. So we're going to go through this whole season and not even find that out. They're, they're not in a great spot. Yeah. And I, to me, and again, not going to, I'll hear your pick on this. I'm not going to give my pick. They go to the commanders on Sunday night football, which is going to be electric. I think, because I think these teams last time they played, they both tied. Uh, they or they they come out in a tie, 
And, like, I guess the one way you could look at a tie is it's a stalemate. And something has to give in this game unless they both tie again. But, quite frankly, I'm not optimistic about the Giants here. Uh, I'm, I'm a little scared. And the commander's giving four and a half. Don't want to hit give my uh, give my pick here, but might be leaning that way for me. What say you? Yeah, I mean, so we talked about the importance of this week for the Jets, right? And I said, uh, I, I was wondering their their playoff uh, potential percentages uh, win or lose this week. Uh, I heard this week on DPHO and Rothenberg, I believe, if the Giants were to win this game, they have an 85% chance of getting in because, I mean, they'd be 8-5-1 and one with uh, three games in hand, right? If they were to lose this game, it comes all the way down to 30%. I, I mean, I, I can't I can't really see them winning. I, I just, especially because, think about it this way. Washington was on a bye last week, right? And so Washington's last game was against the Giants, where they already beat them. They've had two weeks to just sit and prepare for the Giants while the Giants were getting beat up in Philadelphia. Or that game might have been home. But you get my point? Like, yeah. Washington has just been sitting back on this game for two weeks on the heels of, of beating the same exact team. I, I think that they they have a clear-cut advantage. I think they're the better team right now. Um, yeah, I mean, g- give me Washington. So I think it's uh, Washington's giving four and a half. Four and a half as of right now. Yeah, uh, yeah give, give me Washington. Unfortunately, I'd like to see the Giants win. So I'm looking at the schedule now. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think about, but the the Jets can actually like really, really help the Giants going forward. Like, really help the Giants going forward because if they beat the Lions and then somehow can beat the Seahawks, those are two teams that are right on the Giants' tail. So, listen, Giant fans, I don't want to hear anything about the Jets in the next coming weeks, especially if we beat the uh, if we beat the Lions, we meaning the Jets. We're kind of doing... Yeah, I was going to say, oh, you're, you're on the Jets now? Congratulations. Yeah, we just signed. Uh, we cannot help you anymore, honestly. Uh, and in the reverse, if the Jets actually lose to the Lions and then lose in Seattle, we're definitely not helping the Giants either. So if I'm a Giant fan, be nice to your fellow Jet fans in the coming weeks, I think. Yeah. Um, you know what? Just because I'm asking you for it and it's only one game, uh, give, give, give me give me your pick. I'm taking the Commanders. I, I didn't want to I didn't yeah. want to lean it, but like I the Giants are I think they're they're on the downswing while the, I think the commanders are only getting better and better every week and healthier every week. Um, and whereas the giants are just kind of rolling it out, like they, them not making a move of the deadline kind of said, we're just going to, you know, put this together with, you know, glue and tape and figure it out and try and get our way into the end of the season. Uh, and I think that's what they're doing. And I, now I think, you know, the later half of the season, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that you see like, you know, the cream rise to the top, I guess in the later half of the season because the Giants are – their question marks in the earlier part of the year. And, yeah, maybe they're – I think it's – tell me if you would disagree, but I think it's an, uh, just an attestment to how good Dayball is, the fact that he was able to coach this team with this roster to this point, I think, because every week I am the least – I get less and less impressed by this Giant roster, and uh, it's going to look completely different in the offseason. Damn if I do give a damn what people say. No, 
unwarranted Taylor Swift transition there, but uh, we'll let no it rock. No such thing. No such thing. Anyway, let, let's uh, let's get into the Mets here. But Steve Cohen um, has changed things, and this is what I will say to you. Well, let me let me start with this. They signed David Robertson. Oh, Steve Steve Cohen changed things. You said, yeah, yeah. Hold on, I thought that wasn't going to yeah, happen. Yeah, no, hold on, hold on. Let me let me get there. Steve Cohen changed things for get they get David Robertson, they get Nimmo, they get uh, what was the the guy um, the other pitcher they got? Senga, Senga, Senga from uh, China is it? Japan, 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 Japan. from Japan. The racial undertones. <laughs> and uh, here's what I'll say. One, welcome to the uh, Buying Championships Club. I know it's a big thing that Met fans have harped on Yankee fans for a long time, so welcome. I like. Thank I'd you. Like to, it's nice to be yeah, here. It, it is a nice place to be. Two, um, last time I checked, uh, they kind of got a bit again. And I didn't mean to bring it up again, but like I know what you said about the Carlos Correa contract. He's a giant, but now this is another big free agent they've gotten outbid on. The floor is yours. Go ahead. What do you have to say? Well, listen, I mean, we talk about them being outbid. I mean, listen, I don't care about overpaying for a Jamison Tyone. Listen, would it have been really nice to bring in Correa, stick him at third base? Of course it would have been. Um, 13 years? I'm okay. I, I really, I don't even care about the the uh, annual average. That's just, it's still going to be a lot of money to allocate to a guy who's going to be, I don't even know how old. Um, so. Listen, I think the Mets probably stood pat on, you know, 10 years or so. And when it got crazy, you know, they've said that's fine. Um, I I feel like the Mets don't – Steve Cohen isn't going to get outbid if it's something that he really wants, right? So, like, because money's not going to be a factor for the Mets. And they've kind of shown you that over and over again. So it would have been nice. It was nice to dream about Correa for two hours. I think that 13 years, I'm okay on it. I like what the Mets are doing now with these uh, short-term contracts, and then they'll be able to just keep reloading. So, And I think that's kind of a fun way to go about it. I love the Sengai deal. Um, I, I believe he has an opt-out, but I mean, five years, $75 million, And then if he's what everyone thinks he's going to be, that's a great contract. I, I love what the Mets have done so far. You had to overpay Nemo. I get it. Uh, you weren't going to find a center fielder elsewhere. I, I You know... I'm not going to say I dislike the Verlander deal. I'm not going to be upset about a, uh, you know, a reigning Cy Young winner on a two-year deal, especially when he's on the shelf for two years and fresh after a, a Tommy John surgery. So, yeah, I, I'm a fan of what the Mets have done so far. Again, would I have liked Correa? Of course. Um, but I'm okay. So here's what I'll say about it. I think that there is a whole um, – hmm. I haven't really thought about a way to put this, but let me just explain before I put a name to it. So go back to when Steve Cohen is brought in by and voted upon or approved by the other owners. Um, Now fast forward to where we are now with these huge free agent contracts. Uh, I don't know if Met fans want to wake up and like actually like see what's going on around them. But like there, this, the fact that Steve Cohen is their owner is not being used for their benefit, but is being used for the benefit of the agents that, especially Scott Boris guys. Here's my, this is what my base is. I don't think the Mets were ever in on Carlos Correa, to be brutally honest. I just think that you're going to see the Mets linked to every single free agent now, because as soon as you link the Mets to a free agent, the other team's bidding think, 
wow, they've got the most wealthy owner and now we need to open our pockets up. And if you don't realize that that's going on, I don't know how many more free agents that's going to need to be. Because to be honest, I did not like the Brandon Nimmo move. I think Brandon Nimmo is probably going to go down as one of the most overpaid players that was signed in this free agent period. Um, I think he's he's a good player, fine, good center fielder. But, I mean, how is he making? Like close to 30 a year? I mean, for Brandon yeah. Nimmo is crazy. And then, you know, yes, I do like the Verlander move. The Senga move is very high risk, high reward. Not again, not a big issue for Steve Cohen's pockets, but I think that I'm starting to be on the side of things in a in a macro baseball way that Steve Cohen is not good for baseball. No, I don't think this is good for baseball. I think your overall point is half right because I, I think that obviously when the Mets throw their their hat into the ring for any player. Um, yeah, I mean, it works to the benefit of the player for the agent. Uh, but I don't think these are uh, phantom uh, reports about interest. I, I don't believe that. I disagree. But I just I just think it's – I think I've never seen a, a more obvious situation of that. Like, think about this. Like, I get it. Like, yeah, if Carlos Correa maybe said, you know, I'd only – did he I, – I saw a report that, like, he would only play third for the Mets. He would only move to third base for the Mets. Who yeah. said that? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, I guess Correa did. I don't know. Like, I, but but did he say that, or is that just like a rumor? Because like to okay, me, okay. So is it also was Lindor also lying about talking to Correa and getting all that info? Like, is that also just phantom to you? Uh, to me, yeah. Like he honestly, I would even go as far as saying that like not that might he might have had a conversation after he saw reports from other people that the Mets were in on him. Like he might have seen that. And said, and it's been like, hey man, like I, I saw some reports that you might want to come here, like be more than happy to come here, whatever these players say to one another. But I think it's just the most obvious played out situation ever, really. And like we told, okay, well, well, hold on, let me finish. Let me, let me, let me, finish. This let me finish real quick because sure. there's one small little piece I wanted to add. We spoke about when we talked about Aaron Judge with Matt, how he played it perfectly and that he used the Giants as leverage to. Uh, to leverage the Yankees, right? And then the he also brought up the fact that there is a small probability that, or small chance that, the whole arson judge giant thing leaked because Boris wanted his clients' markets to ramp up more and more. So how crazy is it to say that that's just not happening now, just to the Mets? Well, here's what I'll pose to you: Do you feel like that would be a risky thing to do? When we're talking about this is the only owner who's online all the time and sometimes can't help himself but tweet about things. I mean, you look back to last year with the Stephen Matz uh, mumbo jumbo. You really can't just leak false reports with this guy who's on Twitter 10 hours a day. I mean, well, what is he going to do? Quote tweet it and just say it's deny false? It. Yes, and then and then it kind of just blows the whole thing away, right? I, I mean – in a in fantasy land, maybe, but I just don't think something like that would ever happen. Like I like I don't think Steve I mean, Cohen it has is, with him before. Has Steve is Steve Cohen constantly on Twitter, like uh, validify, v- validating or validifying? Is that a word? Validating <laughs> reports or invalidating reports? No, yeah, he's liking tweets here and there, blah blah blah. But like, I, I just, he does, he does. Uh, I see. I just think it's so. To me, I see right through it. To be honest, 
I just well, it happened. It happened last off season a couple of times, and like I just brought up the Stephen Matt situation, where no one really knows what went wrong there. Steve Cohen came out, called out the entire situation. I feel like you lose all your credibility if everyone's just going to keep linking the Mets the second that the Mets shut it down. Oh, but so then that's this is where I'll stand. Like I, I have said in the past, like you know, I've been not, I guess, critical of Steve Cohen's, I guess, presence there, but almost like. Uh, I, like everyone said, oh my God, he's going to change everything and change everything. Like if he's changing everything, you would have got a judge. You would have got a Correa. You would have gotten, you know, any, you would have got a Trey Turner. I mean, like the Mets already have their shortstop, so it wasn't a need. And I think that we both know what went on with the judge thing. Well, I mean, judge, I just threw, I just threw out as like a, just a talent base of what they, sh- like a player of the caliber that to me, that's how you change something. Signing overpaying Brandon Nimmo and taking a risk on a, someone from Japan is not changing anything to me. I'm sorry. It's not. It's not all they've done. But to say that, like, when we're talking about change, we're talking about change versus the Wilpon Mets. It's obviously different well, now. Okay. It's a completely different landscape. Yeah, but, but like, it's that's going from the ground zero to ground four, whereas every other team is on ground 10 or is on floor 10. Like, like I just think that it's like they were so in the depths with the Wilpons that, like, yeah, anything would have been better. But like, is it enough? Like, is it? And then the fact, like, it's almost like they they tried to remedy what was wrong or like overcorrecting, right? Like, think about like overcorrecting a problem where you know, uh, they they were so so like you know penny pinching with these owners, and now so how do we fix that? Let's just get the richest owner, and that's going to fix everything. I don't know if that's that's really the right way to go about things, and I, that's I guess where my skepticism on this whole Steve Cohen stuff comes in. And and then if if he if he went out and signed, and put his money where his mouth is and signed a trade Turner or signed a you know anyone signed a so and so or you know make an Otani trade right if that happens then I'll bite my tongue and say I was wrong. But until I see it, look again overpaying Brandon Nimmo and getting this this guy from Japan and again I think taking a risk on Verlander. Albeit only a few years, I, I just I think these are. Just, Why is that a risk? Because he's because it, it, you know you get these these older pitchers that are. It, it's not as much as a risk of that Degrom would be, and I think that letting Degrom go was a good move by the Mets. That I will say. However, you know, just if now that Degrom is out the door in an afterthought, now that you have two of your studs who Max Scherzer winded down during the the postseason last year, it wasn't the same. Who's to say that doesn't happen to Verlander? There, these are older pitchers. Yeah, my my biggest issue with what you're saying right now is you're saying like, oh well, how did you know if this was if this was really whatever you were saying? Why wouldn't you sign a Trey Turner? Why wouldn't you sign a Carlos Correa? As if like the Lindor deal just never happened. I mean, yeah, the Lindor like that already he already did that. He did that like once, but like, uh, do you think that like I know you'll probably say no to this, but I feel like the Lindor deal was just such a layup, like. So, like, who wouldn't make that deal? And who wouldn't, after you make that deal, who wouldn't the, the sign into that? I don't agree. The I just don't agree. I, don't th- I think that was too much of a layup to really credit Steve Cohen that much. The Mets three years ago would have never shelled out $340 million to Francisco Lindor. No chance. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I think, I, I think the biggest contract they ever handed out was the David Wright one. Well, I think, I think you are right. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, Okay, sure. Signs Lindor, and they they win 101 games. But like, 
Dude, when you got to kind of be aware of your surroundings, too. Look what the Braves are doing, getting Sean Murphy. Look what the Phillies are doing, getting Trey Turner. Like, they, now you're looking at teams with, you know, Ronald Acuna and an absolutely amazing stud pitching staff, as well as a top two catcher in baseball in the Braves, among many other studs. And then on the other side of town, you're looking at not only Bryce Harper, not only Kyle Schwarber, not only a great starting pitching staff, but now you get Trey Turner over there, too. And, like, what are the Mets going to say? Mm, you know, Steve Cohen really changed it because two thumbs up, he signed Lindor, and he was the biggest contract in Mets history. He changed things. That doesn't do it for me. And I, to Mets fans, I don't think well, it should do it for them either. Well, I, I think it should. I think going from a team who is lucky to fall into the playoffs once every six or seven years to now probably being a perennial uh, playoff entry – I think that you should be beyond happy with that. See, I, that's that's where my the, I think the misnomer among Mets fans is. I think they're the third best team in their division right now. So to say they're uh, shooing for the playoffs, I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree. They're a good team for sure, and uh, like if we were, li- they're a top five team in baseball. But it also just happens to be that two of the other top five teams in baseball are in their division. I still like the Mets more than the Phillies, I think. Mm, I, but I get what you're saying. I, mean, Trey Tur- I love Trey Turner. I think yeah, me too. I love I think the makeup of that team, the Phillies team, is so perfect to me. I love like everything they're doing with guys like Schwarber and Harper at the top with Trey Turner is I mean, do you have a better one, two, three than Harper, Turner, and Schwarber? I don't think so. Probably not. But I mean, like when we talk about these risky like they're, they're short-term contracts, which it kind of makes it like no risk at all. They'll just reload again. I, I think I, I like that method. But but like we can get off the Mets because I want to talk about what this does to the health of baseball as opposed to just uh, what it does to the New York Mets. You were right earlier when you said it's not good for baseball. Of course it's not. It's dreadful. I, I kind of hope the Mets win one and then they institute a cap because it's simply not fair. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's kind of like an undersung thing that's going on right now. And it's like, you know, look, I'm never going to be the one, a guy that'll say like, oh, you know, this guy's getting paid too much. I don't believe in people getting paid too much, right? Like, I think like if the market warrants itself and you're as a good enough player, you know, you de- you deserve that money. Yeah, I think Brandon Nimmo is being overpaid, but I'm not like unhappy that he got that money. You know what I mean? Yeah, I kind of think they had to make that deal, though. Yeah, they they Cause, did, because... Like, well, you- you needed a center fielder. Uh, you just needed one. And I guess we'll get off the Mets, but I think that, again, I think that how many times in the past have, even with the Wilpons, have you found yourself in a spot where you've said, yeah, they needed to make that deal or they needed to sign this guy. Like, they had to retain this guy. Like, like they needed Cespedes to trade probably. for Cespedes. Like, they needed to do that. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just think that is such a typical we need to sign Brandon Nimmo thing for the Mets and – Again, I just think they overpaid for him, and I think that uh, we can differ on opinions there, but I think getting back to what you just mentioned. Oh, I agree with that. Okay, well, get, then getting back to what you just mentioned, I think that the it is bad for baseball because these small market teams are almost like – like I sent you the Frank the Tank thing about the A's. Did you watch that video the other day about him saying that the, the A's are working with the Braves, including against the Mets? Yes. Love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like truthfully, like a guy like Sean Murphy, right? A casual baseball fan probably never even heard of the guy or, you know, you may have heard of him, seen him on a clip or something, but he is buried in the abyss of the Oakland athletics only to be, you know, almost like waiting to get his opportunity to go, you know, 
go to the real world, go to the big world, which is the NL East or the AL East. And it's like, you know, when it, when is it going to be the like 2015 where the Royals make the World Series? It, yeah. It's not going to happen. Well, listen, I mean, like the Rays did it recently, like, but that's going to become so much more rare uh, the more that these things kind of happen. And it's kind of a shame because, like, you feel bad for, like, the Pittsburghs. And, you know, like, they're just kind of happy to be there. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's sad because the – like, you like you mentioned Pittsburgh, right? And, like, they have a guy named o- O'Neill Cruz who's a stud shortstop. But, like, you know, if, if I'm O'Neill Cruz and I'm playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates and all of a sudden I start hearing Brian Reynolds' name come up who is, like – one of the better Pittsburgh Pirates of, you know, of recent, like, you know, what is on my horizon for me? Like, am I looking to be a lifetime Pittsburgh Pirate or am I looking to, you know, make, you know, do well here? I don't really give a shit what the team does here, but I'm kind of like these small market teams are almost like auditioning their players for the big stage. And it also comes at, I guess, a conflict of interest with the league because like if, if, the if, we, me and you went to the league and said, hey, look, we're gonna we're from t- five years in the future, and I have a contract here that you can sign that will guarantee that the Red Sox, Yankees, Dodgers, Giants, Padres, Mets, uh, forgive me if I'm missing any other big market teams, will all be in the World Series for the next five years, and I can guarantee it. The MLB would sign off on that. Like, they don't – they're yeah. – it's, it's almost like – it's a when I say conflict of interest, it's because – the MLB doesn't actually is benefiting from the fact that the big markets are the ones that are always good. So it's like there's no one here that's going to step in and say this is not good for the nature of the game. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, even if you even if you're O'Neill Cruz and you said you wanted to be a pirate for life, they probably can't pay you. Right, and they're going to have to trade you, or you're going to hit the market, and there's going to be a deal that you would be stupid to to not um. To not sign. Let me give you this. The 2021 Oakland A's starting lineup. Did you see this? Uh, did I have I seen the lineup or this article that you're better reference? This, uh, yeah, yeah. The, what I'm about to I reference. Have not. I'm going to give you the lineup and I'm going to give you the demise of the player. Oh, God. Um, only one is still there. Sean Murphy traded. Matt Olson traded. Josh Harrison left in free agency. Matt Chapman traded. Elvis Andrews DFA'd. Starling Marte left in free agency. Ramon Laureano, the uh, the only one remaining there. Marcana left in free agency. Chad Pinder left in free agency. How do you not feel bad for those fans, especially in a sport that's so regional? Like if it's the NFL, I could turn on any game and I could watch any game and it's and it's whatever. But like in a regional sport, it stinks to just to have teams that aren't going to be able to compete. Yeah, it's and honestly like. What's the fix? Like, it, I, I don't. Truthfully, I don't think it's a cap. I don't. I and the, the player association would never go for it yeah, anyway. I don't think it's a cap, but I think it's a. I would say a high floor is how I would solve it. Like you have to have a a payroll of X amount, and it happens kind of in the NBA. Like you know, you you get teams that are tanking that will take on these like you know twenty million dollar contracts because people will attach picks to them and it's no sweat off their back because they have, you know, six or seven guys on rookie deals. And then the, you know, the seven, eight, nine guy on their bench are all making combined $60 million. It happens all the time. And like, yeah, I guess it's not the best thing in basketball terms, but like in terms of owners, like 
if you're not going to spend a hundred, what is it? What is like a like a what would be a good floor? Like a hundred and fifty million, hundred twenty five million dollar cap floor. If you're not going to spend that per year, you can't be an owner. I don't want to like yeah. the Rays are smart and all, and like everyone is going to applaud them on being like the greatest penny pinchers of all time and talent evaluators. But like, that is not something that can be replicated. It's just not, it's just, they found their formula to compete. And in, but even the Rays, there's like, if you were a Rays fan, you you got, I guess, Wander Franco. I'm kind of like thinking as I'm talking, but like before Wander Franco, who's, who's the Ray Jersey you have? Carl Crawford. Yeah. Austin, Austin Meadows, who they lost. Yeah. Like, you know, just in Blake Snell, who they lost. And I, I'd even argue this. I think that there's so much focus into the fact of like, you know, the pace of play being the reason why no one watches, uh, the long games being the reason no one watches, too many home runs and strikeouts, nothing in between is the reason no one watches. I think if there was just more balanced competition throughout the league, like we see in the NFL, which is a, you know, God's sport, pretty much numbers wise. I think they're just need, the way you fix baseball is balance out the competition a little bit more. Create that salary floor and make these these make the pirates of the world, make the athletics of the world spend because hey, you give you give a guy who's worth, you know, 15 million dollars, 20 million dollars and he ends up being a 30 million dollar player and you got yourself a star and now you can compete. Right, but the floor would have to be set on some sort of I don't know the formula you would use, but it would be based off of the mean of every team's payroll, right? So, because you can't just make an arbitrary number because the Mets and the Dodgers and the Yankees are still just going to blow right past that. So I, it would have to be based on the mean of every team's payroll. And, I mean, if you did that, the Mets are just going to keep spending, the Dodgers, the, you're going to have teams like the Diamondbacks saying, I simply cannot pay that. How about this? And not that I want to feel bad for someone who, who's, uh, you know, whatever, but I, there's going to be teams that say, I can't pay that. I, I have to get out. So how about this? This is a little bit outside the box thinking, but like, what if, you know, we we're, they they talk, what is it called? The Steve Cohen tax now about how he's going to have to pay, you know, pretty much almost like double his payroll just in tax or whatever it is. Um, yeah. What if instead of paying a tax to where does that tax even go? Like to the league? I guess so. Like what if they took a portion of all those those luxury taxes and and put it into a pool and put it into for... a pool for teams that were I guess not in playoff contention or something like that. Whereas like all the Steve Cohen tax, half of it goes to the league and then half of it goes, you know, each each team that doesn't make the playoffs gets an extra ten million dollars to spend. No, I actually think that's a good idea, especially when I mean Steve Cohen is paying more in just luxury tax than 10 baseball teams are paying on their entire payroll. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and also, too, just from, like, a business perspective, like, like what's – I guess they would never approve it, but, like, what's stopping, like, Jeff Bezos from owning a team? Or what's stopping Elon Musk from, from owning a team? Like, who, and then what I happens? I just think they're good. And then what, Judge – and then, uh, I don't know, who's, like, a, the young – Adley Rutschman, who is now the, the youngest phenom in baseball, who is now on the Baltimore Orioles, owned by Elon Musk, signs the first billion-dollar contract in baseball history. Like, is that good for baseball? Is that what people want? No. Like, it's it's bad. And, like, we always joke around and say that baseball sucks. But, like, uh, it's it's not even that the game sucks when we say that. It's just, like, the inner workings that suck. Like the, the fake everything reports. from what we're talking about now. Yeah. Yeah. The whole off season. Like, I think that 
I think baseball really needs to take a step back. I don't know if it's like, you know, new, I guess, commissioner or whatever, or whoever is in charge of all this, but like, they really need to take a step back because I even heard Kay say this the other day that they're probably going to have another work stoppage pretty soon. So yeah, yeah it's just and miserable. Really, when we say, when, when we say baseball needs to make changes, that's a whole nother issue and a big reason why they can't just the friction between uh, the league and the players association, the players association don't want to give anything. They don't want to change anything simply just because of their animosity towards the league. Yeah. Baseball's just kind of doomed. It, it is. And I mean, I guess we're just going to have to enjoy it while we can. Uh, before we wrap up, a couple quick notes I wanted to mention about the um, about the Yankees. Uh, not much new, I think, but um, it seems to be that it's their offer to lose on Rodone. Uh, he's literally said he prefers to play for the Yankees. I think they're just kind of hesitant on that. Like, I think he wants six years at least. I think they're a little hesitant on that. But um, some other names that I, I, I've seen that I wouldn't hate. Uh, well, actually, Bassett goes to the Blue Jays. That kind of directly ties into the Mets and the Yankees, being that the Blue Jays are in the East. I thought that was a good signing for the Blue Jays. Would have loved him on the Yankees. I'm sure you would have loved him back on the Mets. Um, or maybe not. Maybe not loved him back on the Mets, but. It would have been it would yeah, have been a nice a way pitcher. to round out the bullpen. I mean the uh, the starting rotation. Yeah, he 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 made a lot of money, and I know he's good, but yeah. But I think for the Yankees, look, I I I don't think they were ever run on Correa either. That's another thing, like that kind of uh, getting back to what I said about you know people using the Mets. People use the Yankees all the time as leverage, and all this you know these small rumors that came out that they're in on Correa, they're in on Tatis. Please give me a break. They're not trading for Tatis. Uh, but the yeah. fact that, you know, the rumors, you know, two days apart from each other, we hear, oh, Correa's Yankees have interest in Correa. Ooh, Mets have interest in Correa. And then he goes to sign with the Padre, the, the Giants. Like, it's so obvious that, that he was just using them. I digress. Yeah. Well, w- with the, with the clock kind of running down here, I mean, the Yankees haven't done much to improve and, you know, Radon's an obvious, I mean, that would be a huge signing for the Yankees. If you're the Yankees, well, just what would you like to see from them? Yeah, well, because they're going to have to do something because they're kind of going into the season almost as is. Well, I think I think there's a couple things. There's like a, a lot of moving parts still because look, Judge was the first step, and I think now they they can kind of go through with whatever plan they had, I guess, come up with prior to signing Judge. I, you know, we always say that they assume they would sign Judge, but I think they're definitely in the market for another starting pitcher. I think if they don't get Rodon, I can definitely see them going one of two options. Option number one, I think that they would definitely re-engage the Marlins in Pablo Lopez talks because there was talks at the trade deadline that, according to many reports, came very close that there was a Glaber for Pablo Lopez plus, plus, plus both sides deal that would be very appealing to Yankee fans. Pablo Lopez, probably definitely the second best pitcher on the Marlins. I don't think they'd give up Alcantara but um, would be a great add behind Cole. Would probably slot in as the two, three starter behind Cole. You can argue Nestor as the two. What Literally, get, take your pick. They'd have a great rotation at that point. Um, but even guys like, I wouldn't even hate to see a guy like, uh, someone to round out the rotation. Like someone I brought up the other day, Nathan Evaldi, former Yankee, has pitched in the AL East most of his career. Uh and yep. he's just a he's just a solid guy, you know. You you see him if he's if the Yankees go into the go into the season with Evaldi as their third fourth starter, they got a good rotation, I think. And you know, it's only for Frankie Montas, who seems to be the 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 odd man out of this Yankee pitching staff. Like if you're going into the season already, have seen Frankie Montas kind of shit the bed in his short stint with the Yankees. 
But, like, it's only up from here for Frankie Montas. And if he was slotted to be your number two starter when you traded for him, I think he could still try and find that in his fifth starter spot. So going to the season with Frankie Montas as the fifth starter would be nice. Getting back to some more moves that you spoke about, I think the difference is the Yankees, I don't think, are were ever in the market for a shortstop. Although, if they can get a good deal on Dansby, like, you know, relatively, where he's kind of like, you know, falling on his face now that shortstop holes have been filled, I would not hate that at all. I think Dansby's not. No, because you don't, be don't want to go. You don't want to go into the season with IKF being your everyday shortstop. Yeah, well, I think it'll be IK. If I had to guess now, I think they wouldn't sign a shortstop, and it would be a mix, like a platoon mix of an IKF with a Peraza or something like that. And uh, I, I don't think that's like the, the hardest thing or the worst thing in the world. But I think they, they're also looking at – I saw a lot of reports that there was a lot of guys that they're interested in on the Diamondbacks. I know previously they had been in on uh, Cattell Marte, which would be a really nice piece for them. Plays a little bit of second base. Could be some DJ LeMahieu insurance, as well as the outfield. Uh, would be a nice yeah. piece from from the Diamondbacks. Dalton Varsho, another name from the Diamondbacks, who is an outfielder and catcher, which would be an interesting roster spot because I believe Kyle Higashioka is a free agent, or um, maybe he has a, a player option of some sort, so... I don't even know if he's going to be retained, but being able to slot in a guy that could play the outfield and catch would be huge. Um, some other names I've heard too: Max Kepler on the Twins. Uh, maybe the the Yankees go back to the Twins and say, "Hey, like, look, let's be honest. No one wants to play for you. You couldn't retain Carl. You couldn't retain uh, Correa. Josh Donaldson, we already got it for you. Just take Josh Donaldson back. We'll give you a prospect. Give us Max Kepler, and he's going to be our left fielder next year. I've heard that name." That could be very viable and would be a big move, but I think for the most part, I think like a lot of a lot of Yankee fans are set on looking at guys like Benintendi to come back. Uh, the, to be honest, on the Benintendi front, the more that there's no news, I feel like bodes not well for the Yankees because he's probably just shopping himself to other teams. Um, but I think outfield, potentially shortstop, and one more arm in the rotation, and I'll, I'll chalk it up as a good offseason, shortstop or not. To be honest. Do you think at some point they make some sort of package trade with, you know, some names like Volpe, Peraza, Dominguez, Labor? Do you think at some point there, there's a trade that happens with maybe two or three of them? Um, I'd be stunned to see Dominguez get traded. I think they love Oswaldo Cabrera. Um, Oswaldo Peraza is interesting because it, that's really a question of how high they are on Volpe and see him if he's ready. I'll tell you this. If they, if you hear start hearing rumors that the Yankees are shopping Glaber Torres, I think that speaks well to them having Volpe or Peraza being a starting second or shortstop in the next year and utilizing Glaber to get an arm or one of these middle infielders to get an arm. So I think my answer to that question would be all of them are definitely viable I, outside of Dominguez. I don't, I just don't think they would trade him. They're just like he's like their best prospect ever, perhaps. And uh, yeah, so I don't think he's on the table unless you, you know, unless you're talking about a guy like, uh, you know, I've even seen ridiculous reports of like, would the Yankees entertain Devers? Like, why, why, why not? They, you know, give yeah. them Donaldson plus 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 just for contract reasons, and you know, take Devers over here to be your third baseman and absolutely rake in Yankee Stadium and be, you know, Babe Ruth two point I, I don't. That doesn't seem viable to me, but. Um, I think this is going to be a big week for the Yankees. I believe they submitted an offer to Rodon 
this is Wednesday now. They submitted an offer to Rodone, I believe, Monday night or Tuesday morning. So that very well could be some news that we see coming in the next couple of days, even um, signing or not signing with the Yankees. But um, I think it's still very, very early. So um, we'll, we'll have to see on the Yankees front. But look, enough about enough about you know baseball, football, the you know run of the mill stuff. Everyone's favorite fraud or applaud is up next. Okay, so Sam, on the heels of my three and zero performance last week, you said that it was my turn to present a fraud or applaud. I think I think you earned it. It's your turn for sure. Okay. Well, I have a surprise. Uh, a guest we've had once before, Nick from the Liberty Blue Pod. Uh, I think I got that correctly. I'm hoping. Um, I wanted to bring him back in to give us a hockey fraud or applaud since, you know, like we always say, we're not hockey savants here. And um, I kind of needed a challenge. Uh, how you doing, Nick? I'm doing pretty well. I'm having a good day so far. Awesome. And so and you must be having a good, you know, past couple days. Rangers are on a four game winning streak. They have looked ex- exceptionally better than they started the season. I think you and I can both agree on that. What's been the reason for that? Is it coaching? Is it effort? Is it just opponents? Is it that you tell me? Why are nice, they? That was a nice win over the Devils. Yeah, that was honestly again not the biggest hockey fans here, but that was just a great game to watch. I found myself totally invested in that game. Could be my you know New Jersey New York bias, but again, what is what is different from the this Rangers team now from the last time we spoke to you in the beginning of the season? Um, Shesterkin's playing a lot better. Uh, he's slowly inching his way up the goal saved above the expected leaderboard. He was about 17th two weeks ago. He was ninth this morning when I looked on Money Puck. He's been playing a lot better. That's the biggest thing. I mean, lineup wise, I mean, the coach is still playing a fourth line center on the second line wing or the first line wing. I, I don't really think it's much. I think they've taken advantage of the opponents. They've snuck up on the teams they played. The Blues gave them that game last Monday. Jordan Bennington absolutely melted down, conceded five goals, then the Rangers empty net. The game in Vegas, the Rangers played well. That's probably the best they've played in about, I'd say like two or three weeks. They did end up winning that game five to one, two power play goals, the real driving force there. But Chesterkin kept them in that game until they got the lead. It was 1-1 going into the third, and then they scored four goals in the third to kind of pull away. Friday against the Avalanche, Chesterkin just stole that game outright. Um, uh, the the underlying numbers were disgusting. The Avalanche had something like 40 chances, scoring chances, and they only scored one. The Rangers won in the shootout. And then Monday against the Devils, more of the same. The Devils controlled large stretches of the play. The Rangers came out horrendously. They were down 2 nothing really quickly, but they found a way. They, they've taken advantage of the situation that's in front of them. They've been in these games that are close, where their high-end talent has been able to make a couple plays. But the biggest single thing is the goalies playing close to what – not – he's getting closer to what he was last year as opposed to what he was at the start of the year. Cause everybody knew he wasn't going to be like a 905 save percentage goalie. He's going to be closer to 915, 920 save. He's getting there. I think he's at 913. If he gets to about 920 save percentage, the Rangers will be fine. So now kind of going off that you say it's Igor. I know prior to this little win streak that the Rangers are on Gerard Gallant's seat was getting a little warm. I think a lot of Ranger fans would say, has it cooled down? Is he? Is, does he have anything to do with this win streak, or are you solely just putting it all on Igor? Um, I'm inclined to put it more on the guys on the ice because he hasn't really changed the lineup all of that much. I know on the game on Friday, he juggled the lines a little bit. Then Monday, as soon as they went down 2 nothing to the Devils, 
He dropped Truba to the third pair. He put Gaudreau with Panarin and Zabinijad. He put Kreider with Trocek, and he put the kids back together on the second line. They played all right. I, I've been asking for them to play Trocek with Kreider as more of a defensive-oriented checking line, which would actually do wonders for a team that isn't very good defensively up front. Um, this, this Bidjad line hasn't done that all year, no matter who he's played with. They haven't played great defense. And Panarin and Trocek are defensive black holes. I know they brought Trocek here because he's a good two-way player, but Panarin gives you nothing defensively, and they were playing guys like Gaudreau and guys like Kravtsov, guys who have no defensive upside at all in the top six and really struggling to control play. But th- this is closer to what the lineup needs to look like. You can't expect to really be that good of a hockey team if Barkley Goudreau is playing first line right wing. You just can't. They signed him to be the fourth line center and he's playing first line right wing. But as far as his seat being hot, you got to remember um, the two realities of like the people who are terminally online and then the people in the real world. For the people terminally online who are just constantly like absorbing Ranger-centric content. I like that phrase, by the way, terminally online. I've never heard that before, but I'm going to use it. Sorry, continue. Yeah, (laughs) that's what it is. It's the the people who are constantly just scrolling, absorbing Rangers content. Oh, I hear it in Yankee world, too, all the time. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's the people who are... who don't touch grass often enough, who are okay. where they really are hung up on it. Like I just, before we started recording, I was scrolling, sipping my coffee and underneath like every single reply of the lines from morning skate this morning. It's like, so when is Gallant getting fired? Like <laughs> I hate to tell you they've won four in a row. They'd have to lose like five or six in a row for them to even consider it. I mean, I heard from somebody who, who should know what they're talking about that if they had lost to the blues on Monday last week, there was a real chance he was going to get fired. But they've turned it around here. They've won four in a row. They're, I'm not ready to totally write it off. If like they miss the playoffs, I could see at the end of the season them firing him. But I don't think an in-season coaching change is, is in the cards for the Rangers. So then you mentioned within that about the kids. And yes. I know one of the bigger things going into the season was play the kids, the kid line, get all these kids involved. Where do you fall there? Because I think I'm a big proponent in all sports where if it's not broke, don't fix it. But sometimes you definitely need to look towards like future talent, see what you have, even in the season where you can definitely compete. So as far as the kid line and what people say about, you know, again, this kid line, do you think they should be together permanently? Are they the best five that the Rangers have right now? Or where do you fall on that? It's complicated because realistically, they should be better distributed throughout the lineup because the idea when you're putting a line together is skill sets that complement each other. You want puck retrievers with distributors with shooters. And right now, the Rangers' real problem is Zabinjad and Panarin are both playmakers. Neither of them is a shoot-first guy, which they're very inclined to keep passing back and forth to each other. And Gaudreau is a puck retriever. He's going to go below the goal line, try and win it in the corner, get it back, and re-engage the cycle that's the real issue the Rangers have here is they, the three of them together have played pretty well this year for the two weeks. The Rangers were losing very badly when they lost, I think four in a row, whatever it was, they weren't playing well. The defense is bad and they weren't generating offense. They've been better the last two games that they've played together, but realistically the best line the Rangers have had all year in the underlying numbers is Zabinjad with Kreider and Kako. They really were controlling play. They were dominant on the puck. And it's because Kako is a really good puck retriever and really good at the 
underlying the little things at making the puck battles along the wall a little bit more difficult, winning those loose pucks. But for the Rangers, the problem they have, and they've had this problem for years now, is they're trying to win and develop these guys at the same time. And you just can't realistically do that because these guys need significant ice time. I mean, Alexi Lafreniere has the lowest average time on ice of any first overall pick since 1998. Like that, that's not good for somebody you had a bad season for. Like, yes, they got very lucky. They were, I think they went from 13th to first in that lottery and they ended up picking him, but they have squandered a lot of this stuff. But by year three of a first overall picks development, you would like to think they're ready to break that 70 point threshold and be a real contributor in your top six. I think Lafreniere is on pace for 45 points, which as a third liner, as somebody who's getting 12 minutes a night and no power play time, that's fine, but you don't draft a guy first overall to be on your third line and to play on your, and get 30 seconds on your second power play. You draft somebody like that in that position to be a impactful force on your team. And the Rangers did doing the same thing with Kako. And it, the irony of it all is they drafted Hito kind of as a project, a throwaway, I think 21st overall in 2017. And he's been the best developed Rangers prospect they've had maybe since Kreider, I would argue, based on the development track he's been on. And it's a little different for Kreider because he played college hockey, whereas Hedl, as soon as he was drafted, came over to North America, NHL time, AHL time, back to the NHL. But big picture, that's the thing I keep trying to tell people. If you would like to see the Rangers win a Stanley Cup while society still exists, it's going to be on these young guys. It's going to be on Kako Hedl, Lafreniere, Adam Fox, Keandre Miller, Igor Shosturkin. Zabinijad, Panarin, Trocek, Kreider, they're all 28, 29, 30, 31. I don't see the Rangers as a cup team this year. I probably don't see them as a cup team next year. It's about two or three years from now when the most expensive and the old guys on this team are going to be older and less impactful. They came into this year with the expectation being if the kids were ready to take a leap, they could be cup contenders. The kids are playing better than they did last year, but they're still not putting up counting stats, which is why the Rangers have had such a hard time scoring goals this year because they lost Vitrano, they lost Cop, they lost Mott. Those are three guys who chipped in goals, and they haven't really replaced that calculus. They just haven't replaced the counting stats, and it's why offense has been so hard to come by. But big picture – they're good together, but I don't think you need to keep them together. It's more about just getting them as much opportunity as possible. If you can get one of them on more by playing him with Zabinjad and with Kreider or with Trocek and Kreider or whatever configuration, that's what's important. Getting them as much ice time as possible in a situation where they're going to be able to succeed. So I guess I feel like you kind of answered this question in your answer. But a name that I was thrown out by a very uh, someone I think I respect their Rangers opinion very high the trade deadline. What do the Rangers do at the trade de- deadline? Because you seem to think that, like you said, they're going to win a cup based on the, the performance of the younger kids and who they have been trying to develop. But Patrick Kane is always someone that comes up in conversations among Ranger fans. I'm probably probably sure you've seen rumor after rumor here and there. And I feel like you kind of gave me your answer. But as as someone that, uh, again, doesn't know hockey that well and but knows that name – does a big name like that, how much would that really help this Rangers team? Patrick Kane is already more of what they already have. They have Zabinijad, they have Kreider, they have Panarin. They have three guys who generate most of their offense on the power play. Patrick Kane has less even strength points this year than Kapokako, and Patrick Kane is playing a lot more minutes than Kapokako. Patrick Kane gives you no defense at all, and he's not driving play like he has in the past. Granted, he is playing on a 
god-awful team. And you can say, yeah, he'd probably be better in a different situation. But realistically, the Rangers need more than just one forward if they want to go somewhere this year. They need another defenseman very badly because they just... There, the line between it doesn't help that Truba has been just an atrocity all season because he's been playing hurt and just he's in his own head. He's not playing well. They need another defenseman and they need a forward. I think they'd be more inclined, better situated to go after a middle six guy and an extra defenseman as opposed to one high end expensive guy because this lineup isn't particularly deep. You're one injury away from a pretty ugly lineup. I mean, the lineup already isn't that pretty, and you get one. Injury and that the thing is the salary because Kane even at the deadline with at, so he makes ten two five a year so at the deadline it'd be five one two five the Rangers would need the Blackhawks to retain at least I think thirty five forty percent of it to make the math work that's it if you trade for Patrick Kane you can't add anything else unless you send salary out which I don't think the Rangers want to do either because anybody making any decent money is probably helping the team. Aside from Sammy Blay, if you could get the Blackhawks to take Blay and his one and a half, 1.25 million, whatever, fine. Then you can get that extra defenseman. I'd be a little more inclined to say sure, but Kane doesn't help them. He's already more of what they have. So now I, the last question before we get into our long-awaited fraud or applaud is there a name that you think – I know you've said they need multiple guys, but is there someone that is realistic that they can make one move and put them over the edge? Is there one guy that you think – maybe it's not maybe it's not necessarily realistic, but not fantasy. Like they're not going to get, you know, Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or anyone – you know, any of these elite guys. But who, is there a guy that you would – they would get and you would say, wow, this team could really win it this year? Um, I was talking about this the other day with somebody. It really depends on what happens with the Blues, who are kind of in a free fall right now. They were expected to be a playoff team this year. I think they're in ninth in the Western Conference. They're not particularly close to a playoff spot. Their goaltending is an absolute mess, and the coach is calling out the culture of the team, saying that guys aren't really trying as hard and that people are pretty content because they won their Stanley Cup a couple years ago. If the Blues decide that they want to kind of reset here, you could talk me into to Ryan O'Reilly, that is somebody who would make a significant impact on the Rangers because he is something they don't have. That is somebody who is an elite two-way player, both ends of the ice, really impactful, and somebody that you know Gallant won't be able to jerk around because this is somebody with experience, somebody who has an established track record, which every NHL coach goes nuts for. You could talk me into Tarasenko, uh, also on the Blues, uh, not as good as he was a couple of years ago, but a little bit more of a presence than Patrick Kane, or Patrick Kane's a little bit more finesse. Tarasenko is inclined to kind of be rugged in the corners, win pucks, decent shots still. As far as those are really the only two, because Pierre-Luc Dubois in Winnipeg would be my other answer, but he's a restricted free agent, not an unrestricted free agent. You'd have to give up a little bit more to get him, and you definitely wouldn't be able to keep him after this year. So you would be trading for him for four months, and you'd have to give up too much to get him. But those are the three that come to mind. Kane, eh. If you want if the other one, I don't know. It also depends on what happens. I, I think the Capitals think they're a playoff team, and you probably couldn't get them to trade in division. But somebody of Dylan Strom's ilk, Ryan's little brother, somebody who's offensive upside 
isn't making too much money, can play 12, 13 minutes a night. That's the kind of forward the Rangers need to be looking at. Hell, even just trade for Tyler Modigan from the Senators. That's somebody else who you slide him in the lineup, you take one guy out, your lineup is better when you have someone like Tyler Mott as opposed to Gautier or to Sammy Blay. There, there's plenty of options, but it's early. You probably got realistically two months until the trade stuff actually starts becoming tangible. Cause right now it's just insiders trying to fill copy. There's a lot of dead air to fill between now and the trade deadline in March. Oh, trust me as, as baseball fans, we know all about fake rumors and fake yeah. reporting right now. So Sam, um, I just Matt, remembered, I just remembered a question I wanted to ask you, Sam, cause I want to okay. see, I want to see where you go with this. Oh, like I want to see how off your answer might be. Okay, here we go. So a few days ago, at least on a record, Jack Hughes recorded the longest shift in NHL history. I wanted to ask you how long you thought that was. Oh, God. Well, I was there. It was crazy. How were you? Yeah, it was insane because I was like, oh, he's just not coming off the ice. Hmm. I will. I'll give you a hint. The score of the game. Please do. (laughs) The score of the game was six to four. The last time Jack Hughes went for a line change. Well, I mean, you're telling me guys are barely scratching for what, 15, 12 minutes a night. I'm just going to say. I really have no clue. I really have I know, no clue. That's why, that's why I'm asking. I want to see where, if where it's, you go. If it's crazy that guys are clawing for 15 minutes a night, I'll say he played for like 15 minutes straight. Oh, it was Is that crazy? L- less than yeah, a little crazy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was six minutes, two seconds. But anyway, uh, everyone's favorite segment. Um, Nick's going to take us through it. Fraud or applaud? Everyone ready? Never been more ready. Sounds good. All right, Nick, lead us off with your first uh Fraud or applaud. Okay. Adam Fox's 73 points last year would have led the Rangers every single season between 2012 and 2019. 2012 and 2019, you said, were the years? Between those years, yeah. I'm trying to think who might have been able to eclipse that. I feel like. Can I can I just say something for the sake of the game? I think these McFeely, you should let me answer first because I don't want to hear. I'm very novice in hockey, and I don't want to hear anything that you'll tell me that because I think you're you know a little bit more hockey than I do. Yeah, and I don't want to hear you say anything that's going to sway my opinion. So I'm just going to go off the top of my head. Right. I'm going to applaud this. I'm leaning that way too because I'm trying to think of who could have eclipsed it. Like, I don't think it would have been a Gabrick. I know it wasn't Nash. Um, I, I'm also gonna I'm gonna applaud. Correct, correct. There we go. Good that, job, that gentlemen. Is an applause. There we go. Nice one and zero for both of us. Good start so far. Yeah, we'll take it. Number two. And you were you were almost right, Matt. The last time somebody bef- had over that, it was Gabrick, but it was 2011, 2012. So oh, you okay. were you were right. Your, your instincts were correct. Yes. Yeah. All right. Correct. Awesome. Okay. On to number two. This year's Anaheim Ducks are on the worst paced for goal differential since the expansion Columbus Blue Jackets. What year was that? The Blue Jackets year? Yeah. Yep. 1999, I want to say? The first year they existed. Yeah. Okay. 
So I'm going to fraud this, and this is solely based on, you said the Ducks, correct? Uh, isn't Trevor Zegers, like, the biggest name in hockey right now? I'm just going to assume that he is, like, not letting that happen if he's getting all these headlines and I know about him. So I'm going to say that this is fraud. Uh, I just think... <laughs> This is kind of funny that I don't really know hockey, and I'm just kind of, like, going off this, like, absolutely nothingness, yeah. but I'm I, here for it. I, I don't want to agree with you a second time in a row. <laughs> but I, I, I don't. Off the top of my head, I can't think of of a team that was worse. Yeah, uh, I'm also gonna fraud it. Two and zero, oh, gentlemen. Wow, very nice. Big time. Very nice. The Ducks are close though. They lost seven nothing to the Leafs last night, and they are very close. the The Ducks have one regulation win all year, and it was against the Rangers. <laughs> oh wow! That's so that yes. there you go. That's why you know that. That's crazy. Yes. All right, so number three. Let's see. Do we get a double sweep? Let's see. All right, we'll see. The Rangers trading Mark Messier to the San Jose Sharks in 2004 directly led to the trade for Martin St. Louis in 2014. You go first, Sam. Okay, can you give me the, the names of the, the names and positions of the said players? Are these all okay. goalies? No, what? no. Mark, you don't know who Mark Messier uh, is. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm gonna then rephrase it again. None of them were so, goalies. <laughs> say say it in English. Okay. <laughs> the Rangers trading Mark Messier to the San Jose Sharks in 2004 directly led to the Rangers trading for Martin St. Louis in 2014. Ooh. I mean, this is like borderline impossible given that I, I barely know these players. I'm going to fraud it only because like the term direct, I think is very, very loose. So I'm going to fraud it. That would be an applaud. Wow. The so Rangers. you're laying out for that one? I, I gave my answer. Philly. Oh, oh, you're applauding that. Are you, I thought you were saying for certain it was applaud. Is that what you're saying? My answer is applaud. Okay, okay. And that it, the correct answer would be? Applaud. Yeah. Back-to-back uh, so, back 3-0 weeks for McFeely. It just doesn't get better. So the Rangers <laughs> traded Mark Messier to the San Jose Sharks for a draft pick. The Rangers used that draft pick to select Ryan Callahan. The Rangers traded Ryan Callahan for Martin St. Louis. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah uh, I, 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 I have I have heard that one. So um, yeah. that's why but, I was asking you. I wasn't sure if you were just laying out because you knew it, or you were saying that your answer yeah. was applaud. Yep. Um, um, man, I, I I can't be stopped. Yeah. We'll we'll figure that out. Maybe maybe I'll I'm gonna come up with a, the next list is gonna be like cricket fraud or applaud and i'm just gonna go three and oh myself and it's just gonna be the end of this illustrious run nick were you able to listen to any of our previous ones to, to get an idea i listened just i listened to the one you texted me the other day yeah 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 which which one was that it might have been dug deep enough oh wow yeah okay that was that was a legendary one yeah. that was a good one but nick yeah. thank you uh, i think that was we, we do get a lot of people that always ask us about, you know, why don't you guys talk about hockey? I mean, the, when the Devils are surging, I just we I think McFeely and I both just felt the need that they had to be mentioned because how do you go have a sports podcast and not mention 
a team who literally was on a ridiculous win streak when they're local. But uh, now that the Rangers are good, it seems like we have some hockey heating up. So definitely looking forward to hearing from you more in the future. So thank you again. Anytime, dude. Give me 10 minutes notice. I can be ready. Awesome. We love to hear that. And as always, everyone, uh, this is going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, Thank you for listening. Follow us on all our socials. Follow Nick on all his socials. And again, thank you for listening.